this is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona. This is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is going to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. This is because basically this is him trying to explain a policy that at its core is a paradox, both addressing financial stability, allowing some sort of easing, unwinding of positions that are untenable in the current regime, while also fighting inflation using very similar types of tools in terms of raising rates. It is mind spinning. I can see why they're very, very sensitive about the concept of fiscal dominance right now. I can see why they are. Almost immediately the questions were asked of the Bank of England. Will they accommodate what this government is going to do? And when they first came up with the gilt market operation, they were accused of just that, pandering, accommodating what fiscal policymakers had decided to do. So I think it's really, really difficult for them to, to do now. And I think that's why we're seeing the kind of language, the approach that we've seen from Governor Bailey. That's my guess. I can't get inside his head. The sense I get from him and the way he spoke yesterday just sounded like a man who was very, very sensitive to the idea that they might be contributing to so-called fiscal dominance. There is an argument that for decades, central banks helped offset a lack of action from fiscal policymakers, a lack of action from Washington, D.C. Okay. Over the parliament. And this is a question now of can the central banks pull back and stop giving the fiscal policymakers a pass and risk financial instability and risk uh, perhaps disrupting things to such an extent that imperils uh, the basic functionings of a, a capitalistic society. And this is going to become an increasing debate in the months There's to come. There's something else is going on here. I've just been to Buckingham Palace and accepted His Majesty the King's invitation to form a government in his name. It is only right to explain why I'm standing here as your new Prime Minister. Right now, our country is facing a profound economic crisis. The aftermath of COVID still lingers. Putin's war in Ukraine has destabilized energy markets and supply chains the world over. I want to pay tribute to my predecessor, Liz Truss. She was not wrong to want to improve growth in this country. It is a noble aim. And I admired her restlessness to create change. But some mistakes were made. Not born of ill will, or bad intentions. Quite the opposite, in fact. But mistakes, nonetheless. And I have been elected as leader of my party and your Prime Minister, in part, to fix them. And that work begins immediately. Okay, welcome. It's Tuesday, 25 October in the year of our Lord, 2022. Uh, let me tell you, setting the entire framework, you got these big debates tonight uh, in Pennsylvania and in Michigan and New, New York, these these huge industrial states uh, in the Midwest and the uh, Northeast. 
But the uh, framework of what we've got is an economic, a global economic and financial crisis. And some people are being straight with people and other people are not. Right there, you saw Julie Abramowitz. I keep saying that's the most important two minutes in all television this year where somebody finally spoke the truth about this thing called physical domination where you've had decades of these um, politicians. And, and, and remember, it's the conservative party just got turfed out there by the capital markets, really the hedge funds. You've had this fiscal domination, this, this irresponsible spending, 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 and you've had the central banks that have worked in unison to support it. And now the due bill is here, and the people throughout the world, particularly the people that didn't participate, that didn't participate in the in the rise of the assets, because you're not the you're not the uh, you're not the dominant class, you're not the ruling class, you were left out of that. Well, guess what? You're going to end up paying for this. I want to go to Ed Dowd, one of the smartest guys, a former portfolio manager and one of the biggest asset managers in the world, a, a very smart guy, uh, has been doing tremendous work uh, about the vaccine, about the COVID uh, lockdowns, about mortality rates. He's really gotten into the numbers because he can understand how Wall Street will respond to all this with, with pension funds, with uh, the insurance companies, all of it. But Ed, you've got a, you've got a fairly grim outlook on, on, the, on the global economy. I wanted to bring you in because tonight's debates in uh, and we had it all day long in MSNBC. You know, they're, they got it, reporters over and said, well, how is the fa- democracy playing? Nobody's talking about it. How is abortion playing? They're really not talking about it. They're talking about kitchen table issues of inflation, the economy. And now people are starting to worry about are their jobs going to be there? So, Ed, walk me through your assessment of, and you just saw Sunak, the new prime minister, who is stepping into the middle of a firestorm in the United Kingdom. But I keep using this as an example to Republican politicians. You're one or two moves away that are not thought through and not backed up by mathematics and understanding what reality is to being uh, to leading your party to get absolutely crushed. Ed Dowd, your assessment. Well, the cold open was very uh, telling. And uh, I liked what she said about central banks basically propping up uh, the fiscal side of the equation for the last 12 years. And there's been un- uh, unprecedented coordination between central banks. And now the bills come due. And what you saw in the UK several weeks ago with their pension fund crisis is the beginning of every man for himself. That's going to lead to currency wars, which we're already seeing, the strength of the dollar being the, you know, the cleanest sheet in the, or cleanest shirt in the dirty laundry. And so the the coordination is over. And now we're going to see what usually happens in these types of things is kinetic action at some point. But let's just go back to the great financial crisis. Uh, ever since the, uh, the financial crisis, the central banks working in conjunction with the governments have basically created a, a zombie economy globally. And those who got wealthy were those who were closest to the, to the printing machine. Uh, uh, C-suite executives, uh, hedge fund managers, asset managers, real estate developers. But if you were in the real economy doing real things, you've been falling behind for the last 12 years. And that's why the populist national movement has been rising. There's, there's been a, a game afoot and the game is coming to an end. And, the, the, and, and all you need to understand to see what's going on is the central bankers and politicians will use every excuse to blame uh, what's going to come on that rather than themselves. And the blame lies at their feet, bottom line. 
when you say blame, what do you, what do you anticipate? Let's take the 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 uh, the lab experiment right now. The petri dish is the United Kingdom because that's the United States. Now, look, we have very different uh, economic, obviously, firepower and strength and and size and scale. But they've you know they've gone to uh, this kind of radical net zero carbon uh, energy policy. They've shut themselves off. They've had uh, declining productivity and really GDP, I guess, per capita for decades and decades and decades as their elites look the other way. Now they try to come in and go back to the Thatcher playbook of tax cuts and deregulation when they're running these massive budget deficits, not just from COVID. Everybody tries to blame it on COVID. COVID's part of it, but they just have a, they have a nanny state that's in everywhere. They're just too overextended and they don't have the tax revenue or the, or the tax base to support they're, they're spending. So them as an example, uh, how, do you, how do you look at them and how do you extrapolate that out to the United States, which is, you know, all the articles now, uh, you know, in The Hill, in, in Politico, are talking about the debt ceiling, the big fight that's going to come after the Democrats get turfed out over the debt ceiling. Ed Dowd. Well, the problem that uh, the U.K. has is the problem that we have, but it's going to come to us last. Uh, they have a, um, a debt problem. That debt problem is uh, insolvency at some point. So what people don't seem to understand, and most of the world doesn't understand, is that the social contract has been broken. So all those all those pensions that need to be paid, uh, they'll get paid uh, either they default on the pensions or they inflate the pensions away. Meaning you get you get paid your uh, fixed payment, but it's worthless because inflation's so high. And what we saw a couple of weeks ago was. Uh, what's been the low interest rate policy for the last 12 years come home to roost. These pensions needed to meet their obligations, so they used uh, um, leverage and, and juicing of returns to get the return goal they needed. And that's now, uh, there's a giant margin call going on because they didn't ever expect that uh, this would be occurring. And so that's that's why the UK had to pull a 180. They bailed out their pension funds, basically. And you know that's gonna start happening globally. And it's just all going to come unwound in a either slow or fast fashion. And uh, the happy talk on the economy we're going to see this Friday uh, with a GDP number around two plus percent is all garbage. Uh, I'm looking at Q1 and Q2 is going to be a disaster in the U.S. Minus two to three percent quarter over quarter with Q2 as the trough. So it's coming here uh, in a minor way. And this is going to unfold over you know, the next five to ten years. But it's it's not good. Oh, you're you're anticipating there's going to be a a, a big positive uh, a positive print on GDP. It's not going to be the negative. It's not going to be th- third quarter, three quarters in a row negative. No, so it's going to be it's going to be two plus percent, but that's due to the strong dollar and foreign investment. Consumption is going to be uh, not a big part of that. But looking forward, and that's what we do, uh, Q1 and Q2 are going to be a disaster. And right now, Goldman Sachs will use them as the you know typical economist is looking at plus one to two percent in Q1 and Q2. The problem here is this: the cake has already been baked. What do I mean by that? The Fed has tightened uh, interest rates considerably, and the Goldman Sachs Financial Conditions Index is is up 400 basis points on the year. Every 90 basis points of tightening in the financial conditions um, is a one to two percent hit to GDP four quarters forward. So that bill is coming due Q1, Q2. It's baked into the cake. There's nothing we can do to avoid it. We're seeing housing starting to roll over. The real economy is a disaster. And there may be a stock market rally because the Fed tried to play some games on Friday. 
uh, some of the progressive elements of the Fed to help the Biden administration leaked out on Friday that they're going to do 75 in November and then maybe 50 in December to signal that maybe this is the end of the rate hike cycle. But that, that gave the markets a little euphoria. So we may see a rally here into the elections because they're doing everything in their power to hold this thing up into the elections. The Bank of Japan on Friday had to come in and do a huge massive currency intervention, uh, primarily because they're pegged at 25 basis points. And uh, if that peg is lost, bond markets around the world are gonna uh, uh, implode. So that's a precarious situation that hedge funds are following. So I suspect it's gonna, you know, they're gonna try to keep this thing together with, uh, you know, gum and, and uh, tin foil and glue and uh, put on a pretty picture before the elections. After that, the real economy will come home to roost and earnings are gonna implode next, uh, next first half of the year. Ed, before I, I, I lose you, talk to me about any updates on your on your studies. Now you get the book coming out on the mortality uh, issue. You've been the leading thing that something's not right here. Uh, Fauci is back on TV to South. They're rolling him back out to push hard, uh, not just the new boosters. And, uh, you know, Biden got his today to push the vax because nobody's really taken the, the new booster. To also talk about, I think there's a triple threat now coming. They think, you know, COVID. Uh, they've got a respiratory disease and the flu are all going to come and they're trying to pitch this now uh, in the, uh, to, to, you know, as fear porn prior to the election. What, what, any updates from you on the mortality situation? So it's, it's running around uh, 10 to 20 percent globally. We expect it to increase into the flu season as immunity systems are weakened. So excess mortality, we're expecting to rise into this uh, uh, fourth and first quarter. Um, additionally, uh, as far as I'm concerned, when the book comes out, we'll show it. Basically, it was detrimental to your health to be employed in 2021 and 2022, primarily because of vaccine mandates. A generally much healthier population uh, historically experienced higher mortality than the general overall population and disability like I've never seen before. The, uh, the working age folks uh, experienced or not, not working age, actual employed people, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, experienced an increase in their disability rate of 25% versus, you know, 8% for the overall U.S. population. So the, the case has been made. These vaccines need to be pulled. The question now is to get this information out. So that's, that's one thing. The second thing is um, my um, partners in my hedge fund are putting on a website all this data it's going to be free to the world. We're creating uh, the Humanity Project and the Vaccine Damage Project. This is just data-driven. Uh, we're going to try to keep our opinions to a minimum, and people can grab the data and see for themselves what a disaster this has been globally in Europe, the U.S. We, we, do, a, we do an extensive study on the Eurostat data, the U.K. data, and the U.S. data. So it'll be there for all to see. And the bottom line is this. In, in uh, 2021 and 2022, if you were a working age, your excess mortality was uh, above that of 2020, and uh, it shouldn't have been. It just shouldn't have been. What's, what's the timing on the launch? Because I know our audience have want to be all over it. What's the timing on the launch of the uh, the, the websites? Um, th we hope to have. Well, they're gonna they're gonna be in the book. The, the links are gonna be in the book. The book is due out December 10th. Hopefully, fingers crossed. We got you know supply chain issues and whatnot, but. Uh, that hopes we hope to go live on that in the next week or two, and then I can come back on and talk about that. Um, Perfect. The book is Cause Unknown: The Epidemic of Sudden Death in 21 and 2022, and uh, we're racing against time to get it out as quickly as possible because we want to 
basically change the frame of the debate. And the frame of the debate is this, who cares why it happened or who did it? It's happened and the data that we have, clearly the global governments have as well, but they don't seem to be doing anything about it. So at this point, there is a cover up and a crime and negligence. And that, 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 is, that is beyond a doubt at this point. Ed Dowd, how do people get to you, your site, uh, your writings, and you on social media? Uh, I'm on Getter, at Edward Dowd, and I have a website called theyliedpeopledied.com. And uh, when the uh, links go live for the uh, vaccine damage project, uh, I'll, uh, I'll get those out as well. Yeah, we'll have you back on for that. Uh, Ed Dowd, thank you very much for your uh, market analysis and also for all the great work you're doing on excess mortality. Thank you. Take care, Steve. I want to bring in Natalie, our uh, executive editor and the co-host of The Worm. Hey, uh, Natalie, a couple of things. Number one, the independent newspaper, uh, not happy with uh, your uh, inaugural interview yesterday where we talked about uh, Fauci. You talked about issues. And I said, hey, these investigations are coming. They have to understand that. And maybe we even brought it out to the wife and the daughter, but definitely to Fauci. They took they took a huge, a huge headline in the independent newspaper. Bannon says Fauci to be hunted, Fauci family to be hunted. <laughs> the independents got to got to they have to embrace this, Natalie. You, you agree that that uh, given his performance, that there will be significant and deep and meaningful and fair investigations of Dr. Fauci in the with the new Congress in the coming year, ma'am? Oh, definitely. And I don't think that we should sell ourselves short by any means in the sense that the more intense and in-depth and unbiased these investigations are, the more information we will actually be able to find because there is such a trove of information, all these roads that lead to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, to the Chinese Communist Party, to gain-of-function research. And if you trace those roads back, uh, the, I would say, kind of sugar daddy of a lot of this research that was going on was Anthony Fauci, of course, given his lead role at the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. It's very, very funny to me that the mainstream media continues to run cover for Anthony Fauci, when in reality, if you look at government databases, you can look at the grants, the millions of dollars that went to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, specifically the bat lady, Sher Jung Lee, um, it's indisputable that Anthony Fauci was behind it. So I really don't understand um, why the mainstream media refuses to report on that. But instead, uh, the only time they say Fauci nine times out of 10, it's a name like yours or mine attached to it and criticizing how we actually um, have the strength to go after someone like him, of course, the highest paid public servant who will continue to get about a $300,000 a year payment um, once he retires and leaves the National Institutes of Health. Um, but again, these investigations really will find substantive information. I will say a lot of the, the deep, hard work has already been done um, in terms of the origins of COVID-19 and how Fauci played such a critical role in this. But I think with the power of the subpoena, um, assuming that groups like EcoHealth Alliance actually comply with them, which they haven't, um, we'll be able to find out a lot more. I'm going to have Dr. Bradley Thayer here in a moment about uh, a new strategy that he believes is very important to confront uh, Xi in, in the, in even the consolidation of power under Xi, this kind of new edge they're taking. But I want to go back to something you put up today, because the very first thing that happened uh, when Sunak stood in front of, uh, of 10 Downing and actually, you know, took the, took the uh, deck in the con 
from trust. He was talking about the economic crisis they, they, they have. The commentator afterwards, talking to the MSNBC correspondent, the first question she had, she said, well, they had this complicated, very complex economic and financial problem, and one of it is actually figuring out what they can afford to spend. Do you think this means they're going to have to make tough choices about Ukraine? This is the top of the mind to MSNBC, Ukraine. And the guy said, you know what's interesting? That's going to be a very tough sell to the British people because they're looking for a cold winter. Inflation's out of control, highest in 40 years. Their, their prices are almost 11% price increases. And he says, that's going to be a tough sell. But in Biden's congratulatory uh, message to him, he says, we're really looking forward to having a partner here with us on Ukraine. Biden actually mentions it in a three-line thank you. Talk to me about this investigation that you've started, you've got up now in War Room, right now as an exclusive about the Ukraine, ma'am. Yeah, people can go to warroom.org to check it out. We have a lot of reports coming out throughout the day, but I think this one is is particularly salient with the current news cycle. Um, and really, it's an example of full-blown information warfare coming out of the Democratic Party, really on behalf of Ukraine. Um, what you see here is an individual who used to work, or actually still works, for Blue Star Strategies, which is a Democratic-run consulting firm that reeks, frankly, of corruption, but particularly um, tied to Hunter Biden and Burisma. Emails from Hunter Biden's hard drive show that he was an instrumental figure um, in getting Burisma to decide to hire Blue Star Strategies, sort of as a PR firm, to help it avoid really any meaningful prosecution or just really being looked into for the corruption that it was engaging in. It was actually, uh, Blue Star Strategies actually was under a Department of Justice probe for engaging in illegal lobbying on behalf of Burisma. So Jeffrey Gedman, um, who was a senior advisor for Blue Star Strategies, was just appointed by Joe Biden um, as a nominee to serve on the international um, media Advisory Board at the U.S. Agency for Global Media. So people may not know what this board is. It's sort of one of those swampy D.C. organizations that you probably haven't heard of, but it actually is a very powerful group in that it is the sole advisory board to the CEO at the U.S. Agency for Global Media, which uses its nearly billion-dollar budget um, to run programming, including Radio Free Asia, Radio Free Europe, and Voice of America, which reaches hundreds of millions of people across the world each day. Um, but what's really interesting is that this individual, again, not only highly compromised when it comes to his ties to Hunter Biden and Blue Star Strategies, but really for decades has been pushing a hardcore pro-Ukraine line um, in the American press, always since 2010, trying to get the United States um, to offer military support, financial support, political support, um, to Ukraine, always attacking Russia when he has the opportunity, participating in Ukraine-based forums that are really aimed at kind of boosting Ukraine's international profile and image. So I think this is just a perfect example, not only of people who are connected to Hunter Biden getting these political appointments within the Biden regime, um, but really how I think you're seeing a lot of these institutions um, be used to put out, I mean, let's call it what it is, I think political propaganda um, in support of Ukraine. Nancy Pelosi just announced that, you know, she, she'd vow to give even more money to Ukraine by the end of the year. Um, so I think it shows you where the focus um, of the White House is and the Democratic Party is, and it's Ukraine. Um, it's not Americans, it's Ukraine. Um, and I think people like Jeffrey Gedman represent how it's always been like that. These globalists has, have always been looking overseas, um, trying to find ways to get U.S. taxpayer dollars to help defend the borders of basically every other country except the United States.
You know, I noticed on Getter today, I was on my feed and I noticed because I follow you and I noticed how the, that you already had linked to the Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and this is all about this. Is, they're going to get turfed out for a generation. And she's throwing down already in the lame duck. She's got a huge amount of money. She wants to make sure they get to the Ukraine or give her more. It should be noted by the audience yesterday, the progressives put out for the first time kind of met the war room and saying, hey, we, we got to get. Uh, to the negotiating table, we got to stop the gunfire. We got to get, we got to make a deal for everybody. And man, the the firestorm in Washington D.C. about that. The poor progressives never knew what hit them. They tried to walk it back a little bit by putting an addendum to the letter late in the afternoon, and that wasn't good enough. And then they withdrew it, I think, this morning because they absolutely got browbeat. And it tells you how radioactive this uh, Ukraine thing is. The U.K. and the rest of Europe are not going to be with us. They don't have the money, and it's not that big a priority. They're going to want the United States to step up more and more in the lame duck. This is going to be huge. I've got Dr. Thayer. I'm going to bring him on after the break. But, but Natalie, I think, and I can say this for someone who spends an enormous amount of time in this area, you are probably the top investigative reporter out there for connecting all the dots of the many different types of influence peddling and influence operations of the Chinese Communist Party in the United States, whether it's the U.S. government, information, colleges, the, the Confucius Institute, all these. As you see Xi, the rise of Xi, and we'll get to Thayer, just give me, a, 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 tell the audience, how deep is the influence operation of the Chinese Communist Party in the United States, ma'am? Well, Steve, you could probably have me on your show uh, twice a day for five years uh, for two blocks each show, and I probably wouldn't even scratch the surface of Chinese Communist Party infiltration in the United States. It's very regrettable, but this country is, I mean, radioactive when it comes to Chinese Communist Party influence, and it's all by design. It goes back to the Chinese Communist Party strategy, really of unrestricted and unconventional warfare, where they're really trying to overtake the United States and become the new global hegemon without actually having to fire a shot. Um, you know, infiltrating the United States from within is the most powerful way to do that. And I think the corruption goes all the way to the top. I mean, it was Joe Biden in 2011 who wrote an op-ed for the New York Times that said China's rise is an our demise. Um, and I think history yeah. um, in the future, too, will show that that's not the case for most, America <laughs> most Americans, uh, maybe Hunter Biden. Uh, Natalie. Hang on for a second, Natalie. We're going to take a short commercial break. We're going to bring in Dr. Bradley Thayer to walk us through the new strategy he believes that uh, either the Biden regime or the Republicans are coming to the new Congress. Somebody's got to take short commercial break. Natalie Winters, Stephen K. Bannon, War Room Battleground. We will join you back in a moment. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash war room to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure, 
It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint to put Trump back in the White House in 2024. Buy Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67% and do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Natalie Winters and her reporting, her investigations have shown that she's not uh, given to hyperbole. If she doesn't have the receipts, she doesn't say it. Natalie, that may be the most uh, disturbing thing you've ever said on War Room. Uh, to say that you could come on every day for two segments, every show, and in five years, do it for five years, and then only scratch the surface. The Chinese Communist Party has understands that we're their existential threat and they're our existential threat. But they have taken an active program of uh, unrestricted warfare to look at uh, information war, cyber war, economic war, and full infiltration to have not just elite, to really have elite capture, I guess is the way to say it. Is there any doubt in your mind as you've done this research over the last couple of years and broken all these stories, ma'am? No, not at all. And I think the scarier part um, is really the, the second derivation of elite capture, which to me is the idea of elite merger, which is the concept that American elites epitomized by, by Joe Biden, um, who really have, have worked closely with the Chinese Communist Party, um, both publicly and privately, um, but how they really have kind of taken on the tactics that the Chinese Communist Party uses against their own people, against Americans now. I mean, you know, the three warfares doctrine, which is sort of the guiding principle for a lot of Chinese military actions, they engage in legal warfare, media warfare, and psychological warfare. And I think you see all those three things occurring here in the United States um, very intensely. I mean, legal, legally, obviously, election activists are being 
you know, attacked by the Department of Justice. You see political persecution in terms of psychological warfare. Look at COVID-19 lockdowns and these vaccine pressure campaigns and media warfare. I don't think I have to explain that to anyone who watches the clips you play from MSNBC. But I think that's what's really, really scary now. And that's why you see the Biden regime comporting themselves in such a totalitarian manner, um, because they look up to the Chinese Communist Party. You know, they get into business with them, not just because it pays to be in business with the Chinese Communist Party, but because the, they envy the level of power and control that they have over their, their own people. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very true that I could come on the show <laughs> a lot more often and talk about Chinese Communist Party infiltration um, all the way from kindergarten classrooms, obviously, to colleges, to the assault that they're making now on our farmland and agricultural officials. And it goes all the way to the White House. Um, you know, the Chinese Communist Party knows what they're doing. And unfortunately, our elite ruling class doesn't really have any allegiance to America um, anymore. I don't think that's an outlandish statement to say. Um, so it's a lot easier for the Chinese Communist Party to get their job done um, when American elites really don't even believe in America. They think it's an idea as opposed to a country um, in the first place. So let me bring in Dr. Bradley Thayer with this great piece you have in the Hill, but with Natalie's uh, pretty systematic uh, layout, uh, that was what they did even before she's intense concentration of power in the brooming of any kind of opposition. And if you read and read your analysis, um, they make no bones about the fact that they're at war with us now. If that's ever been hidden, you just have to read these speeches over the 20th Party Congress. So given what Natalie's laid out, it looks like they're winning anyway. Why would they take the, why would they need a more aggressive strategy to really press to a kinetic war away from, you know, irregular warfare? unrestricted warfare, where it looks like they're winning, why would they press the bet to go all the way to kinetic war or even more aggressive Dr. Thayer? And in your theory, why, do, why does Biden need to take a new strategy? Well, Steve, wonderful to be with you again. Um, they, they don't want to go to the kinetic, uh, uh, to kinetic warfare. Uh, if they can achieve their aims as they have thus far uh, through non-kinetic means, so uh, that's the first, uh, I think, point to keep in mind. Xi's established himself, as you've noted, uh, of course, uh, this week, uh, in, in, in absolute control of the Chinese Communist Party. So he's in control of China. Um, he has economic problems, other problems on the horizon, uh, but he thinks that things are moving his way. And as long as he stays healthy, uh, he's going to be the leader uh, of China. He has, uh, in the speech, of course, uh, that he provided, and as we've seen uh, more recently, targeted, of course, the United States, uh, our allies in the Indo-Pacific, and Taiwan, uh, that he wants to conquer uh, Taiwan and ensure that it is not uh, a state, but is absorbed uh, into, under the uh, Chinese, uh, the control of the Chinese Communist Party. Those are his aims. If he's going to be able to get it non-kinetically, uh, that's uh, obviously, for, from his perspective, very positively. Taiwan, of course, and his other territorial expansion in the Indo-Pacific should be met uh, with resistance, but that requires leadership. And one of the arguments I was making in the Hill piece is that we need leadership, obviously, on this issue uh, from Biden, the Biden administration, or from the Republicans. 
uh, or from somebody. Xi's thrown down the gauntlet. He's telling us, uh, as he has, he's telling us explicitly, as explicit as he's ever going to be, that we're his enemy, uh, and he's out for us, uh, and we need a response uh, to uh, uh, to address that uh, from the hang, Biden. Hang, hang, I, I want to make sure. Hang, hang. I want to make sure that the audience understands this. What in the speech? Go back to his his speeches over the weekend. Pull out in this speech where you say he makes it very clear that we're the existential threat and, and that we have to be dealt with. Uh, he's targeting uh, hegemony. So you'll see hegemony is a stalking horse for the United States. So you'll see in that speech there are references to uh, the fact that uh, uh, China can't accept uh, uh, hegemony of, of any other entity uh, in international politics. Second point, he talks about China is now moving uh, towards its second centenary goal, which is a modern socialist country and the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. That's his claim that China can now run the world, that China has the power as a modern socialist uh, country uh, to uh, set the norms, the principles, the rules of the road uh, for international politics overturning what the British and the Americans established at the end of World War II and that uh, served us well in the Cold War uh, and after. And then thirdly, explicitly, explicitly he's targeting Taiwan. Uh, so he's saying that Taiwan, uh, the status quo uh, will not be allowed uh, to, uh, to be maintained. He's gonna change the status quo in Taiwan, like Hong Kong, Macau, Many other uh, uh, aspects that will fall under the control of Chinese Communist Party. So here's an. It's rare in international politics where your enemy tells you that he's coming after you uh, explicitly. Stalin did this in February 1946 in a very famous speech where he said, "Capitalism and communism can't coexist, and communism is going to win." Well, what we've had with the, uh, Xi's address to the 20th Party Congress uh, is the equivalent of Stalin's speech. Uh, he's telling us that we can't coexist. He's coming after us. Uh, and what we need is a response, of course, to this. We need leadership uh, to bring about the tremendous strength that we have um, uh, as a country, of course, with allies, with allies within China. Of course, the Chinese people uh, who don't want this odious regime, uh, but we need leadership to bring this uh, together, and and we don't have. So let, let, uh, let, 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 let's assume. Let's assume. Let's assume uh, for purposes of this discussion, Natalie's correct, and the Biden administration is is totally corrupt uh, and 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 incompetent. So they won't do it. As and let's assume that we take the House and the Senate which I think I don't want to, you know, say that we're absolutely going to do it, but it looks like if everybody does their job, we will. What should be the, if, if the Republicans, and particularly guys like Jim Banks and these people that have already promised us that the first committee that's going to be formed is a select committee on the investigations into the influence peddling of, uh, in the influence operations of the Chinese Communist Party in the United States. And a lot of that, the, the audience should understand, is coming off of the great work that Natalie Winters has done at National Pulse and on War Room the last couple of years. It, let's assume that's correct. What should, be the, what should be the Republican, how can the Republican Party drive this, and what should be their, their, uh, their objective set 
in this uh, in a in a counter strategy to a now more powerful Xi? Oh, three things, Steve. First, we need to deter aggression against Taiwan, uh, and so that's going to require uh, conventional forces, and that's going to require a, a nuclear force posture in the Indo-Pacific that we don't yet have. So coercing, working with the Biden administration, or uh, in some respects working against it, Congress needs, purportedly, if, if the election goes, House goes to Republicans, Senate goes to Republicans, we need to move that. Secondly, we need a new national security strategy. There's no reason why Congress can't generate that as well. Biden generated and publicly released, of course, recently the national security strategy. Uh, and it was uh, not the document you want to have <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination after Xi's speech. So we need a document uh, that's going to provide a foundation for leadership uh, against uh, Taiwan that declares China, the Communist Party of China, to be the enemy of the United States and to lay forth a strategy for its defeat, for the defeat of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and Congress, Senate, House uh, uh, can do that, uh, obviously, very, uh, very importantly. Thirdly, uh, Congress, uh, of course, is a co-equal branch of government, as we all know, right? Uh, they can uh, go to Taiwan. They can advance, uh, I think, the right policies in the Indo-Pacific, in Taiwan itself. We saw Nancy Pelosi going, of course, to Taiwan in August. Uh, of this year. Other speaker, uh, uh, potentially a speaker McCarthy uh, uh, could do the same as well as other congressional leaders to show a American commitment to uh, Taiwan. Taiwan is the Berlin, right? It's on the, it, it's the immediate crisis that we're facing. Not the only one. The Indians have problems, obviously. There's difficulty, of very significant difficulties in the South China Sea and the East China Sea uh, with, with Japan. But Taiwan is the front line, uh, and the United States needs to ensure that there's deterrence uh, there, that uh, Xi Jinping does not decide, as he's likely to, based on his intent, as he's declared, based also on his health, right? His health may not be uh, certainly the best. No one knows, of course, how long he's going to be uh, in, in power. And thirdly, because the Biden administration has been feckless. Uh, in assisting uh, Taiwan. So he, he's thinking he's got a window of opportunity uh, and that has to be closed. That's a, a very significant vulnerability and danger for the United States and Congress can do a lot uh, to close that if the Biden administration uh, uh, will not. Uh, Dr. Thayer, how do people get to this new article? You're writing a series of these coming off of the time to tee up for the 20th Party Congress and then coming off of that. I want to make sure I know you're over at Epoch Times. You're also at the Hill. Where do people go to get all of it? Uh, at uh, uh, On Getter, at Bradley Thayer at Getter or Bradley Thayer on Truth uh, are, are where I uh, post my articles, of course, or they could see the, the piece today at, at thehill.com. Uh, to look at that, where, uh, where, where can people get? Where can people get? Where can people get the book? Your new book about this, understanding the China threat, which I co-wrote with Lian Chao Han, uh, is available at Amazon or or at the uh, uh, the publishers uh, Taylor Francis uh, Rutledge. Uh, all are, are are places to get it. But Steve, we need leadership, and if Biden's not providing it, Congress is absolutely going to have to. 
uh, and we need a strategy. Well, Mitch McConnell's not going to do it. Yeah, we need a strategy of victory we'll do, for the we'll defeat do. of the Chinese Communist Party. We win, they lose. Absolutely, Doctor Thayer. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Steve. Natalie, uh, Natalie, as you know, your um, your uh, your reporting is going to be some of the basis for this um, select committee that's going to be put together at the new Congress. So the first one, remember, Banks, who was on here, and Banks did the, the China strategy paper about a year and a half ago. He's a naval officer. Um, uh, he said that, hey, in the, coming out of the the commitment to America, you know, kind of people criticize this too general, too, it's too not specific enough. The one thing that was specific, they said they're going to form this joint uh, committee, and it's a committee on the investigation of the influence of the China, the influence operations of the CCP. Right before I let you go, yesterday, the, Merrick Garland made this huge deal. He had Ray, he had Monaco up there, he had all of them up there. This is really kind of, I'm not saying it's a misdirection play. It's fine what they're doing, but it's so mid-level and low-level uh, where they're not, there's so much deep corruption by the Chinese Communist Party in this country. Do you think that's just essentially a misdirection play to get the heat off them to show that they're doing something? Yeah, there's a term that the left uh, likes to use to describe people who they don't think are thoroughly committed enough to their uh, social justice goals, and it's performative activism. And I think that's exactly what you're seeing from the Biden regime now when it comes to trying to peddle a tough line on the Chinese Communist Party. Um, you aren't considered tough on China if you only go after some of their companies after your son has made money off of them for decades. Um, that's just sort of covering up. It's a misdirection play. And I think it's also really important to note in terms of what we can do to combat this influence. You've said that there's obviously going to be a lot of Democrats and even establishment Republicans who will be losing their seats in these upcoming midterm elections. A lot of those people are prime candidates to become lobbyists for Chinese Communist Party-run companies and so I think it's important that we have regulations and restrictions in place to prevent these establishment type uh, figures from selling out um, to our enemies. Perfect. Natalie, how do people follow you on social media now? Where do they go to get you? Uh, Natalie G. Winters on Getter. And of course, go to warrooms.org where we're always posting stories in the war room Getter. Um, we're providing the signal and not the noise. Natalie Winters, executive editor of All Things Worm. Thank you very much for joining us, ma'am. Thank you for having me. Those investigations are going to be known as something incredibly important going forward to thwart this, what's happening. Let's go. Defenders of the West is one of my favorite books, one of my favorite books of this year, incredibly written by an incredible guy, Raymond Ibrahim. Uh, Raymond, uh, I know we've talked about this. We've, we've had some difficulty getting you on. You've been traveling. Walk us through the story that we should be focused on. You, you In here, you break down stories of Richard the Lionheart, El Cid. You've got kind of a who's who. And actually, some people that the people in the West don't know that well. But walk us through what you got for us today. Sure, Steve. And thanks for having me on. Um, you know, with what's going on in the world and what you talk about, you know, these, these stories from the past may seem irrelevant. But uh, I really find them, you know, they, they live up to what Ecclesiastes in the Bible says, which is there's nothing new under the sun. You know, what was done before is happening again, as, as you will see, along with the inspiration that one can draw from them. But the particular story I have for you today uh, deals with the Cid, and uh, it actually might strike home for you personally, <laughs> uh, because the Cid, as you know, you know, he, he, the, he was so well, he was the fiercest warrior in Spain that he, got, he went by the Arabic um, Al-Sayyid, that's where we get Cid, which means the Lord. 
and he was known by the, by, by the Spaniards as the Campeador, which means the master of the battlefield. So even his epithets really tell you who he is. But um, in right around 1084, there was a massive jihadist pouring into Spain by uh, what are known as the Almoravid Caliphate, who were just hardcore jihadists, just like ISIS, as you'll see. And they destroyed the Spaniards uh, at the Battle of Sagrajas, also in October. And they ended up decapitating 2,400 Christians, building a pyramid. And the Muazzin went up and started calling the, the jihadists to calls to prayers and just stomping on their heads and so forth. Pretty gruesome stuff, like I said, just like ISIS. And what's interesting is right before that, the uh, king of Spain, Alfonso VI, had actually banished the Cid, who was, you know, who could have actually changed the tide of that battle. And the reason he banished him is because um, <laughs> the Cid showed some contempt, actually. When, uh, when Alfonso VI was being sworn in, actually, the Cid was the only one to protest. And he put a Bible in his face and told him to put his hand and swear three times that he did not kill his older brother, uh, Sancho II, which possibly he could have. And, um, you know, despite that cheek, Alfonso actually did it to sate the Cid. And, um, but he carried this anger in his heart. And then before, once he had a pretext, he actually banished the Cid for that contemptuous display and, um, and, and that's why he wasn't at the battle. At any rate, then he called him forth after that, you know, the 2,400 decapitation scene. And the Cid just went on a blitzkrieg and just completely dev devastated all these jihadist gains. He, uh, Valencia had been taken by the, by the Muslims, and he retook it after a 19-month siege. And then that's where this particular battle, which occurred on October 21st, uh, comes in. Something like 50,000 Moors surrounded him, and he only had 4,000 knights. His wife and uh, daughters were holed up with him. And in just in a wild display, once all the mass, the throng of Muslim jihadists had surrounded him, and even in the text, they're screaming, Allah Akbar, he came out in a violent blitzkrieg, just so suddenly with all his armed men uh, on atop horses and just you know, two lines and kept blitzkrieging and crisscrossing across uh, the army, the jihadists completely devastated them. Um, and that's why he's still known till this very day. But you know, he did so much more beyond that. Uh, but like I wow. said, it's interesting because all these men, not just the Sid, always had internal enemies who continuously and always subverted the, you know, <laughs> the cause against them. So like I said, you know, these stories are not, uh, you know, past and present continuing. They're timeless. Look, this, bo this book, you can't put down when you get it. How do you get the Defenders uh, of the West? Because it's absolutely magnificent. We got about 30 seconds. Where do people go to get it? Uh, you can obviously get it at Amazon. Um, I would just go online and, and Google Defenders of the West, and you'll get various places. There's conservativefeeders.com as well. It's absolutely incredible. Beautifully written and uh, amazingly researched. Raven Abraham, thank you very much. El Cid. Incredible. 2,400 decapitations. Okay. By the way, independent newspaper of UK. We're not calling for that for Tony Fauci. Just investigations. As the hunted will become the hunters. See you again tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock in the war room.